Let's give our choir a hand one more time. Good job, guys. Thank you. Any guy can't preach after that kind of singing ought to turn his credentials in, shouldn't he? So y'all pray for me. Jesus was standing in front of an audience that was divided. Some wanted to hear what he had to say, and some were very, very, very skeptical of him. Many of them had already made up their mind about what he was and who he was, but he shocked them when he went to another level in the revelation of who he was, and he said, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was telling them right then at that moment that he was, is, and will forever be God. The Jesus we serve at Whitley Church was not just a good prophet, not just a good man, not just a good teacher. As a matter of fact, it was actually impossible for him to be just that because he said he was God. And let me just give you all some advice. If you are going to tell people you are God, you really need to be God. Because when you say you're God and you're not God, then you are a blasphemer. So there's only one human who could ever say, I am God in flesh, and that was Jesus Christ. Now last week, we listened as Jesus unfolded some realities about what he meant when he said, I am. In John 6, he said, I am the bread of life. In John 8, he said, I am the light of the world. In John 10, he said, I am the door, and I am the only way into the presence of the only true and living God, the God of the Bible. In John 10, he says, I am the door. In John 10, again, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, he gives us that verse that we're all very familiar with when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, in John 15, he said, I am the true vine. And he said, the only way that you can be genuinely fruitful is to abide in that vine, be attached to the vine. Then we said that if Jesus really was God back there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if he really was God, I mean God in human flesh, then he would want to communicate that. He would want people to know that. And so one of the ways he would do it is by demonstrating his power and exercising his power over things that only God could have power over and saying things that only God can say. And we looked in Mark 2. You remember that story, don't you, last week? When those four men could not get the sick man to Jesus. So they went up on top of the roof and they removed the roof and lowered him down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus... You know what he could have done? I mean, you know, he could have just been like any good TV evangelist and reached out there and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed, you know? But Jesus didn't do that. What did Jesus deal with first in that man? Sin. Because that's the top priority. Now, contrary to a lot of teaching and a lot of preaching that we have in our world today, the top priority is not that we be healed physically. 
The top priority is that we deal with the sin in our life and moreover, that we allow Jesus to deal with the sin in our life. And so Jesus forgave this man of his sins. Now, the moment he did that, those religious leaders who were there, and they were great theologians, they knew their Bible, and they said, only God can forgive sin. No one else can forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. So they knew Jesus was claiming to be God. And we know that he was God, number one, last week, because of his power over sin. Now, he went ahead and healed that man, but the most important thing that happened in that man's life that day was the forgiveness of sin. If you're here today and you've never come to Jesus that way, I mean, you've come to Jesus, but it's always when you're kind of in trouble, you know, and and you, you're, you're desperate, and, and you kind of come to him, and you go, I got to tell you, Jesus, I, I know I hadn't been really doing, you know, and giving and, and committing and all of that, but, but I'm really in trouble, or one of my kids is really in trouble, or I lost my job, or I got a bad report from the doctor, or, you know, my wife's about to leave me, or my husband's about to leave me, and so, Jesus, I, I tell you, I tell you, man, if you'll just really help me right here, I promise you, and so we try to use him without committing to him. You know, we're like, I said last week, we're like uh, in the cafeteria line where, we'll, where we say, well, I'll have some healing and I'll have some financial blessing, but no lordship, thank you. And the Lord is calling us to lordship. Now, he will help you. Will he help you when you're physically sick? Anybody out there who he's done that for? Will he help you when your marriage struggles? Yes. Will he help you when your kids aren't doing what they ought to do? Yes. Will he help you when you're battling depression and fear and all of these emotions? Yes, he will help you. But that isn't why he's here. He is here to redeem you, to save you, to forgive you, to adopt you into his family. Lordship is what he wants. So in Mark 2, he showed us his power over sin. Now, we're going to go to Freaky Town today. And uh, we're going to talk about another way Jesus reveals that he is God, and that is that he has power over demons and devils and the devil. Now, you know, here's what you say, oh my goodness, this is a church that believes in the devil. Well, here's what we believe about him. Here's what we believe about the devil here at Whitley Church. He's a decided fact. He does exist. He's a destructive force. He never wants to help you. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But what else is he? A defeated foe. Amen. That's what we believe about the devil. Through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, the devil, tell him I said hello. The devil, <laughs> the devil is not going to be defeated. The devil is already defeated. Do y'all hear me? Listen, listen, as Christians, as Christians, we don't pray for victory. We pray from victory. We've, it's already been won. He's already been defeated. <laughs> okay, tell him I'll get back with him. Um, the Bible tells us that demons exist. So, so what we're saying today, I want to lay this down. Here's what we're saying today, that that Jesus, we know he's God because of his power over sin. We saw that last week. What we're going to see today, that we know he's God because only God has power over demons and the devil. 
okay? So we're going to talk about that today. Now, demons exist. We all know that's true. Uh, don't point at anybody, but we know that demons exist. Now, occasionally, uh, they will manifest themselves physically. They will manifest themselves visually. They will manifest themselves so you don't really have to have any discernment to know that's the devil right there, you know? But that's rare. That's rare. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that some of you haven't seen that a lot. Some of you may have, if, especially if you uh, operate in the gift of intercession, you will run into that more often than uh, Christians who don't function in that gift. But, but in my ministry, and I've been a pastor, uh, preacher since I was 17, I have seen it manifest I've seen services where we were just going along and then all of a sudden it was obviously we were dealing with a person who was demon possessed and so we've ministered to them. Sometimes, sometimes we were successful in that and deliverance would come, but sometimes uh, the, the deliverance did not come. So um, demons and devils are real and they do manifest themselves um, physically and visibly sometimes. What you have to be careful with on that is that can become very glamorous that can become very entertaining in a sense, and you make that bigger than it really is because the fact of the matter is that most of the time, uh, demons operate um, in a stealth manner. They operate in a clandestine manner, in a, in, in a, uh, a cover-up. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that. The Bible says Satan is like a, a wolf, but he dresses like a sheep, and he is all about darkness, but he comes to you as an angel of light. So the Bible tells us that, that he's never really going to meet you in the middle of the road and go, let's go a couple of rounds and say, you know, I'm the devil and you're one of God's kids. Let's fight it out. He, he doesn't fight fair. He always deals a blow when you don't expect it. Uh, if you're taking notes, and I trust you are, um, Psalm 11, don't go there now, uh, but go there when you get home. Psalm 11 is a chapter in the Bible that talks about the stealth um, way that the enemy operates a, a, a bow and arrow. It, it says that, that Satan uses a bow and arrow. And of course, that is not literal. That is just telling you that the enemy comes to you in a very quiet way. How many of you know a bow and arrow, a compound bow, um, is very quiet? It's very quiet. As a matter of fact, I, I was, uh, and I'll tell this quickly, but uh, Back in my younger days, um, I was pastoring a church, and it was in deer hunting country. And I mean, right in the heart of deer hunting country. And uh, a bunch of guys who really didn't give me a lot of attention, when deer hunting season came around, they were my best friend because they knew because I was the preacher, I could get them on some land that otherwise they couldn't get on. So they loved me during deer hunting season. So they, I told them if I was going to take them on that land, they'd teach me how to shoot a bow and arrow, and I got really good at it. I could shoot a watermelon at 10 feet. <clears throat> Sometimes. So they give me the compound bow, and I'm up in the deer stand, and I'm sitting up there, and uh, all of a sudden, a deer just kind of walks past me. I mean, he's like from maybe a little further than Eddie and Sylvia here on the front row, maybe a little further. So here's what I did. Landed right, like two feet from him, stuck right in the ground. And here's what the deer did. Here's what the deer did. <laughs> Never looked up. He's dumb, and I'm no good with a bow and arrow. So we were both okay. We were both safe. 
I'm not kidding you when I tell you that he walked around. I shot every arrow I had. <laughs> and finally he was like, <whistles> he just wandered off. So bows and arrows are very, very stealthy, and that's the way the Bible describes how Satan comes to us. The world is exposed to Satan. The world is exposed to demons. Therefore, if in fact Jesus is God and not just a man, he will exercise his power over them. Now we uh, got a little creative way today. Mitch and I came up with a little creative way to share the scriptures with you today. So uh, just sit back and watch as we go through Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 41. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> so it didn't look like it's going to happen. Oh, okay. Here we go. And he went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and was teaching them on So just as Jesus did in last week's message, he is in Capernaum again. We told you that Capernaum is a city at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus used that city as a, as a base of operations when he was in that area ministering. And here in this scene that we're looking at in the Bible, Jesus is just teaching. He's just standing there teaching the Word of God. And in verse 32, the Bible says they were amazed while he was teaching. They were amazed. And I started to just kind of skip over that and just go into some other stuff. But I, I had to think about it. I don't know about you, uh, but when you read the Bible, when you read the scriptures and you see a word like that, go, why were they amazed? Why? 
and, and think about that. So I wrote down some things that, that I felt like were reasons uh, that they were amazed. And, and, and the first thing I thought about was that scripture that says, when they were describing Jesus, they said, nobody speaks like this man. Nobody speaks like this man. So I think Jesus was speaking that way, and they were saying they had never heard a man speak on this fashion, and, and he had knowledge that they had never heard, and he, they saw wisdom in him and heard wisdom come from him that they had never seen anything like that. His ability to express the truth was incredible because only God can express it the way Jesus was expressing it in they were astonished, the Bible says specifically here in this passage, by his authority. He spoke with authority. We need more preachers that speak with authority in America, don't we? So we're in Luke 4, and uh, there's a guy in the synagogue. So when we say synagogue, how does that apply to us? He was in what? Church. So he's possessed by an unclean spirit, and he's in church. Just thought I'd kind of pause right there. And the demon screams out of the man. Now, that'll mess up a service. I'm telling you right there. That'll mess up a service. And so this demon in verse 34 says an amazing thing. This demon goes, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So this demon knows he's a man. He knows his name. He knows where he's from, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says something about what Something else he knows about Jesus, he says, he asked him a question, have you come to destroy us? And then he says, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And then we go down to verse 41 after Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law and we find more demon activity and one of the demons in this uh, setting right at the end of the passage you just heard this demon says you are the Christ you are the Christ the son of God now I've heard Oprah Winfrey describe who Jesus is and she doesn't know who he is but these demons knew who he was religious systems and I could name them but every time I do I get in big trouble so I'm not going to name them but there are religious systems that do not believe Jesus is the Savior of our soul. They believe he's a good teacher, a good prophet, a good man. But as I've taught before, that's impossible because he claimed to be God. So they don't really know who Jesus is, but these demons knew who Jesus was. I just think that's interesting. Your Aunt Alice may not know who Jesus is or your Uncle Fred, but these demons knew. And i got to tell you, some pastors don't know who he is, and some teachers don't know who he is, and some preachers don't know who he is, but these demons knew. I hate to say this, but I have to say it. It is amazing to me that some demons have better theological perspective than some people in church. Thank you. I want you to notice what they these demons knew about Jesus. Number one, they knew he was sovereign over them. They knew he was sovereign over them. They knew that whatever he wanted to do with them or to them or say to them, they had no choice but to take it. Now, what are we talking about today? Who is Jesus? We're saying Jesus is God. We're saying in order for us to believe Jesus is God, then we have to look at what he said and what he did. And what he said last week was, I can forgive sin. 
and he did forgive sin, and he saved that man's soul before he healed his body. So that lets us know Jesus is God because of his power over sin. Today what we're seeing is that he has sovereignty, he has power over demons and the devil himself. And I want you to notice what these, uh, these demons said. Look at this question, have you come to destroy us? So boy, they knew that if he wanted to, he could blink his eyes or snap his fingers or just think it, and they would be destroyed. Isn't it amazing what they knew? Now, I want you to think about this. Remember, I told you that demons rarely manifest themselves as in this story today, but they do. Now, up until this moment where this guy goes, where this guy begins to speak with a demonic uh, voice speaking through him up until that moment it appears that this guy was just a regular guy in church sitting in the church I mean he's going in and out nobody thought anything about it you know nobody thought he had any major problems and they would never dream that he was demon possessed I mean he wasn't living in a cave or living in the tombs or you know cutting himself like this guy we'll meet later in the Bible if we read through the scriptures, we'd find that guy who's demon possessed, and that's how he was acting, but this guy was just in church. This is a guy with a gray flannel suit, just sitting in, you know, just somebody comes to church. But the demonic activity in him was clandestine. It was covered up. It was stealth. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn very slowly and look at the person beside you. No, I'm just I'm kidding. <laughs> there's some people right here going, ah, there's a guy over there. <laughs> DLR, don't look right, I'm telling you. Right now. Seriously, this says to me when I see that here is a man in church that nobody knew was demon-possessed until Jesus came on the scene. This tells me that influences Demonic influences are around me, and I'm not trying to go to freaky town or freak you out, but I'm telling you, demonic forces are working around us all day, every day, to have influence, to lead you into temptation, to lead you to do things that break the heart of God, <clears throat> to hinder you if you refuse to go their way, to to inflict against you situations of life that bring pain and you just sense opposition. Have you ever been in a worship service in a church when you knew we were in a spiritual battle? You ever felt that? i got to tell you guys something. When you start facing and, un, and, and shining the light on topics like pornography, if you think the enemy is going to sit back and just let a church do that and not come against us, Get another thought in your mind. We're going to war here, guys. If we would just come and sing our little songs, preach our little sermons, go to Bojangles, then go watch football, he wouldn't really worry about us or care that much about us. But when you go out there where the darkness is and you shine the light of the gospel into that darkness, he's going to fight you. Okay? So are you ready? I mean, we're about to put up website. I mean, we're about to put up uh, billboards, okay? And they're going to go, no, don't you go to Whitley. 
you're going to go, yeah, yeah, and you're not going to remember the billboard, and they're going to go, so y'all got porn at your church. Is this right? And you need to have an answer. You need to have an answer. So read the material. We've got handouts as you're leaving today, and you can pick it up and find out how to answer. Your kids are going to ask questions, and you need to be able to talk to them about that. You say, well, I just really don't feel like they need to hear. They're already hearing about it. They're already hearing about it. <laughs> Please take my word for it. They're already hearing about it. They need to hear it from you, Daddy. And they need to hear it from you, Mom. So demonic activity is around us every day. It's very subtle. They don't want to be recognized. They don't want to be identified. And they prefer to work undercover. So here's something that that tells me, and I'm going to hit this and move on. But I want to really press it in, and I want you to really get it. One of the things you need to pray for when you're praying as a Christian as you put on the armor of God, as you, as you suit up for battle, one of the things you really need to put on your prayer list is discernment. Discernment. You need, in the world we live in today, discernment. Now, I'm going to define that, and I'm going to give you the Farrell Hardison definition. It is a spiritual, supernatural, from God ability to, uh, to look at a situation and quickly assess it accurately because you're going to be in situations where you're not going to be able to go you know what time out on that one let me think about that and pray about that for a few days I use that every time I can because I think that is the wisest way to handle things when you're not really sure how to respond to something just ask for a time out and say give me some time with that let me pray about that but then there are going to be moments you don't have that and if you're not walking in intimacy with God and you're not walking in the, in the supernatural ability of discernment, now some people have the gift, there's a spiritual gift of discernment. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the discernment that all believers ought to have. But the reason we don't have more discernment than we presently have is because we don't think about it and we, won't, we don't ask for it and we don't really pray for it that much. So guys, I'm challenging you today as your pastor Put that down on your prayer list, discernment, so that when you encounter a situation, you hear that little in the back of your mind going, whoop, 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 whoop. You know what I'm saying? That little warning, that little beep, that little DLR, don't look right, you know? Something's messed up here. This isn't God. Looks like God, sounds like God, smells like God, but this ain't God right here. Y'all ever had that feeling in your gut? I tell you what, when you sense that, you better, I'm not saying go off the deep end, but you better pull back and not embrace something just because it looks like, smells like, sounds like God. You know, I deal, I deal with that as a pastor. We deal with that as a church. You know, there, there are people who can come in your church and everything about them appears right. And if you're just a loving, accepting person that doesn't also have discernment, then you're going to embrace everything that comes along. And sometimes you can embrace people that will come in your church and tear it apart. Can I preach like that? Now, none of them come to the early service, but there's some in that second service. Okay? So I'm just telling you guys. Let's pray it together. Dear Lord. As a child of God, with demonic influences all around me, every day, grant unto me 
by your grace and mercy, that I would have discernment to be able to look at a situation and assess it quickly and accurately. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so why does this demon uncover himself? Why does he blow his cover here? Because, I mean, he's got it, he's got it knocked, you know. He's, he's in the sky, nobody really knows. I mean, Jesus knows, of course, but he doesn't know, uh, and nobody else knows. They think this guy's fine, but this demon just, it's like he freaks out and goes, who are you? You know, and everybody's like, whoa, I was just in a small group with that guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm going to sit over here, you know. Um, why did that demon come out? Why, why did he, I, I, I just thought about it. See, when, that's how I look at the Bible. When I read something, I go, well, why, why, did he, why did he do that? Why did the demon, if he wants to be covert, if he wants to be undercover, why did he show himself? I got to tell you, I think it's because he was confronted with the presence of the living God. You say, well, we don't have that now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my Bible tells me that the way to get it where you are, God lives on Praise Street. You want to know where God's at? You, you want to know where the presence of the Lord is? He's in worship. And you better learn to worship somewhere other than here. And you better learn to worship when there ain't no cool guitar going. And you better learn to worship when there are these young, pretty people up here leading us in praise and worship. Amen. And, and I love them, and I love worship, and it was rich this morning, and it was good. And I got to tell you, every time Lynn would rips on that guitar there, I go, thank God for old people that are still cool. Amen. Amen. There's some of us left. <laughs> but you got to learn to worship. You got to learn to worship in the office. Now, you'll get fired if you worship there like you do here. So I'm just telling you, you can't go, oh, Jesus. They're going to go, call, call Cherry Hospital. Have them come on out here. Pick this guy up. Mm. And, and so, so you've got to learn to worship undercover, stealthy. And you can do it. You can do it. And the moment you begin to, I mean, don't go, oh, Lord Jesus, something's going on. Help me, God, help me. That's desperate right there. I'm talking about something's going on bad here. Glory to his name. Praise and honor be to my king. Glory to God. I worship you, Lord. You say, well, I don't even know what to say. Go to the Bible. Turn over there to Psalm 150 and just read that. Just start reading it. You say, well, I can't read out loud. Well, just read it under your breath. We'll give you a video of this uh, scripture here. Just put it on you. Just play that. No, you can't do that. You'll get in trouble. I, I'm just saying, guys, that what expels the enemy, what exposes the enemy, what freaks the enemy out is worship. Worship. That's why we sing first. It's all about me. I want you guys to make it easy for me to preach. So we sing and we, we get him out of here so the man of God can stand up and bring the word of God. I like how it works. Had a guy in our church, he's gone now. Bye. And he, um, he said, why can't we do worship last? He said, I, I don't really like the worship. 
He said, I like your you sermon, you know, that's the part I want to hear. And he said, I don't, I don't like worship. He said, let's do that last, then I can come on in and get the sermon. And then while, while you all have greet your neighbor or something, I can, I can just get on out. Bye. Because, man, i got to have you guys going ahead of me. Worship. So when you praise, you bring in the presence of God. When you bring in the presence of God, the enemy has to go. He can't stand it. Now, he will war with you for a while, but you will win that battle. You will win it. you got to press in on that. Learn to worship. You say, well, I'm really not a Pentecostal. <laughs> it don't matter what denomination you are. We are, we, are, we are commanded all through the Bible. Worship, worship, worship. Praise, praise, praise. And it's not because God's got a big ego up there sitting on the throne going, bring it, bring it. It's because God wants you to be uh, filled with weaponry and artillery, and he, he wants you to know how to battle that enemy. So he gave you praise. He said, he said, you want me to show up when the battle is going on and the enemy's fighting against you? You want me to show up? And we're like, yeah, praise me, and I'll come where you, I'll fight it for you. The battle's not yours. The battle is the, so how do we get the Lord there to fight our battles? Worship, man, worship. Another thing that freaked this demon out was uh, the authoritative teaching of the scriptures. I know churches that have got great worship, but they got anemic pulpits. Amen? Amen? I mean, you, you go and you say, oh man, I love the music, I love the worship, I love that. And then the pastor gets up there and, you know, he just wants to make everybody happy and feel good. And everybody just go home feeling good. I'm good, you're good, we're all good. Fact is, we're not all good. We need the Word of God that reveals, that brings light, that brings conviction, that brings tears, that causes us to go, you know what? I don't like what he just said, but I'm telling you, that ain't right in my life. I can get that right. That's the kind of preaching America needs. Men who will stand up flat-footed. And I haven't always preached like that. I've, I've cowered down sometimes and said what I knew people wanted to hear. But I'm telling you something, God's convicted me about that. And I know y'all sitting out there going, you're telling me. He's ripping, he's ripping us every Sunday. Hey, it's ripping me too. It rips me before it rips you. And then I think sometimes God's through ripping me in my study time. And I'm coming up here all pure and holy and everything. And I start preaching it. And I preach myself under conviction. Because it isn't my word. It's his that's what we need in America. That's what we need in this community. The Word of God. So this demon is scared to death. He goes into panic mode. He says, is this the time you're going to destroy us? And then he says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. You are the Messiah. You are the one who is equal to God. You are the very Son of God. And I just love how Jesus reacted. Because I know what how some people just want to draw so much attention to themselves. And Jesus looks uh, over at the guy, and he doesn't even look at the guy because he knows it's not the guy. He knows it's the demon in the guy. And he goes, be quiet and get out of him. And it goes, ah! And it throws the guy on the ground and uh, comes out of him, but it doesn't do the guy any harm. And Jesus spoke with authority here, the Holy One of God. When Jesus was teaching with authority and Jesus was present, the enemy couldn't stay there. Are y'all getting that today? Are y'all getting that? You understand how that applies to us? As long as we are genuinely worshiping and as long as we're not watering down the Bible and watering down the scriptures, God will be with us. 
But the moment we start pleasing people more than we're pleasing God, God will leave us. And he'll say, you want to do it on your own? Then do it on your own. And believe me, you don't want to do it on your own. The Holy One of God. I looked into that title because I thought, you know, it's interesting that the, that the enemy calls him the Holy One of God. And I found out that it's used 33 times in the book of Isaiah alone. And it is a title for, guess what? It is a title for I Am. That's incredible. It actually means not the Holy One of God, but it is better interpreted the Holy One who is God. The Holy One who is God. So then in amazement, Everybody says, whoa, what is this? For with authority, it's in verse 36, for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And then Matthew records this same event, but that's why you need to read all the gospels because they all give a different perspective on the events. And in Matthew 9, 33, here's what he says about this. He says nothing like this had ever been done in Israel before. So everybody's amazed. Jesus reveals. Remember our past sermons now. He reveals, I'm the I am. I'm the eternal one. Remember we talked about that? He's the eternal one, the everlasting one, the ever-present one, the redeemer, the redeemer, the redeemer. Above all things, he is your savior. He will save your lost soul today if you will come to him. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He loves you. Say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you. And he will wash you today and cleanse you and forgive your sin. And he will overcome the, the demonic in your, in your life. Let me conclude here. Now, if we back up in Luke 4, we're going to see, let me just give you in these last couple minutes, let me give you a couple of examples of Jesus' power over the enemy. The first part of Luke 4 is the temptation of Jesus. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Now, that messes up a lot of people's theology because we like to preach a positive gospel, and we think it would not be positive to think that the God would lead us into the wilderness. Hear me, he will lead you into a desert place sometimes. He will lead you into the wilderness. He led Jesus into the wilderness. And for 40 days and 40 nights, you think you're fasting? Jesus did not eat food or drink water for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of that, Satan thought to himself, being the doofus he is, that's Greek for dumb, he came and said, I know now he is weak and he is subject to temptation. He's hungry. His flesh craves I will come. That's when he comes to you. That's why not only will the enemy attack you when you're struggling, but he will really come to you when you are successful because he wants to make you think you don't need God and you don't need so much church and you don't need so much Jesus and money and uh, or you don't need all that because you got money. And Y'all with me out there? Can I preach like this? So he comes during success. So he comes to Jesus and he goes, I know you're hungry and if you're the son of God, he always questioned his deity every time he was tempting him. He always said, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Jesus unsheathed the sword of God's word every time and said, it is written. That's another way you defeat the enemy is not only through praise and worship, but you know your Bible. 
I mean, some of you guys, really the only Bible you're getting is right here on Sunday morning, and I appreciate that, but if this is all you're getting, and you're not going home and digging deeper and getting into it, when you unsheath your, it's a fingernail clipper. <laughs> Satan comes and tempts you, and you go, whoa, you want to go, you want to brave hard, you don't go brave hard on him, you Amen? Amen. You want to you know enough about the Bible that when the enemy comes to you, you start going, God said, Jesus said, the Bible says, the scripture says, and he knows he's just got to leave you alone. That's what Jesus did. You know, if Jesus used the Bible to overcome the devil, what do you think about us? I think we might need to do that too. Yeah. <clears throat> so after the temptation, we could go into that, don't have time. Satan gave up, and the Bible says Jesus came out of the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 22, you remember that Garden of Gethsemane scene? Some of you have seen our Easter drama, and you've seen the Garden of Gethsemane scene up here when they come to arrest Jesus. And in that scene, when they come to arrest him, uh, in Luke 22, 52 through 53, I want you to look at that. Jesus uh, could sense that Satan's moving in for the kill and these, uh, he's been betrayed by Judas, and uh, the officials are coming to arrest him. Look what he says. Then Jesus said to those who had come out against him, the chief priest and captains of the temple and elders of the Sanhedrin, that was the religious churchy crowd with the big hats, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? Jesus said, this is how you're going to come take me. Look what he says in verse 53. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you could have gotten me at any time. You could have taken me at any time. You did not stretch forth your hand against me there. And then Jesus says this. Because Jesus knows what's going on and he knows what's about to happen and he knows the price he's about to pay for your sin and my sin. He said, but this is your hour. And the power which darkness gives you has its way. You say, well, boy, that sure doesn't look like Jesus has power over the devil right there. Notice what it says. I give permission for him to do what he wants to with me because I must pay this price. What Satan didn't know, though, was that the cross was not going to be the defeat of Jesus. It was going to be the defeat of him. As a matter of fact, Paul says to the Corinthian church, had he known had Satan known that the cross would accomplish what it would accomplish, he would have never tried to get Jesus up on the cross. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it didn't mean Jesus was defeated. It meant Satan was defeated. So Jesus was saying to us, I, will, I willingly surrender. I willingly go to the cross. I willingly give. The, I, I turn myself over. See, that's the only way that could have happened is that he allowed it. I like what one writer said when I was reading for this. He said, Satan has absolutely no ability to inflict the slightest wound on the sinless one. Hallelujah. And then Pilate. Jesus was standing in front of Pilate. You guys have heard me tell this story before. And the first time Pilate questioned Jesus, he was sincere. Pilate wanted to know. He, he really had some honest questions for Jesus. And when he had those honest questions, Jesus answered him. Let me tell you something. You might be here today and you haven't bought into this whole Jesus thing. You haven't bought into this whole Bible thing yet, this whole church thing. But you're here today. 
and you're kind of checking it out. Jesus is cool with that. We're cool with that. Everybody's fine with that because we were all there one day. But you have to come to him with humility. You have to come to him sincere or he won't talk to you. Because when Pilate was humble and sincere and had some honest questions for Jesus, Jesus talked to him. You can read it in your Bible. There's a conversation. Well, then he sends Jesus away because he doesn't want to deal with it. He thinks he, can, he thinks he can pass Jesus off to somebody else and not have to make a decision about Jesus. Because you remember Pilate's wife came to him uh, and she said, have nothing to do with this holy, righteous man. Because she, she, she knew who he was. But Pilate has Jesus on his hands and he can't get Jesus off his hands. Some of y'all running from God and you've tried to get Jesus off your hands. You can't. Pilate tried to wash his hands and get Jesus. He couldn't get Jesus off his hands. So Jesus ends up back in front of him. But this time Pilate is ticked and Pilate is, is uh, afraid. How many of you know that fear often... Uh, um, presents itself, reveals itself, fear reveals itself through, through pride or arrogance. People who are really prideful are scared to death on the inside that they're going to be found out. So he's standing up there and he asks Jesus, uh, blah, 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 asking him all these questions, and Jesus doesn't say anything. Because Jesus doesn't talk to you when you're arrogant and prideful. And then Pilate went, don't you know who I am? Do you not know who I am? He said, I hold in my hands life and death for you, sir. And I can see Jesus there. His hands are bound and he is bleeding. And blood drips off his hair and he's got that crown of thorns on his head. And his back has been whipped for our salvation and our healing. And he's got that robe on as a mockery because he claimed to be a king. And that crown is on his head as a mockery because he claimed to be a king. And I see Jesus look up to Pilate and go, you would have no power over me had it not been given to you from above. That is Jesus saying to us, even when I don't look like I'm in control, I'm in control. Even when it looks like I'm going down for the fight, rest assured, I'm not going down for the fight. Jesus wins every time. Every time. He's better than the Patriots. Jesus wins every time. Don't you want to be on his side? Don't you want to be on his team? The kingdom of darkness is going down. You say, well, I'm not really on either team. Oh, yes, you are. You're on one team or the other. You say, well, I didn't choose it. Yes, you did. See, when you choose to reject Jesus, you chose the other side. There, there isn't any middle ground. There isn't any fence straddling. You're on one side or the other. Make up your mind today. Because we sung in that song, this is the day. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, May the power of the Holy Spirit move in this place. May we understand that you are God because we saw last week you have power over sin. We see this week you always in every situation have power over the enemy, Satan himself. There are people here who need you desperately, but their pride keeps them from you. I pray today that they will 
humble themselves before you. I pray that every man and every woman and every boy and girl in this building today will humble themselves before you and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my failure. I need you in my success. I need you, sir. I came to this church this morning just to kind of get it out of my system, but you have spoken to me today through the music, maybe through the video, maybe through the sermon. God, I hear you and I need you. So I'm not going to run from you anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to go any further without you. I'm not going to take another step without you. I'm not going to leave this building without you. So right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive my sins. You died for my sins. I did not deserve that. You rose from the dead that I might have life. I do not deserve that. I do not deserve to be saved today. I do not deserve to be redeemed. I do not deserve to be adopted into your family today. But if I understand what I'm hearing, you still love me and you don't give me what I deserve, but you give me what I need. And what I need is a savior. Success hasn't saved me. Multiple marriages haven't saved me. Adultery didn't save me. Fornication didn't save me. Drugs didn't save me. I've tried it all, Lord, and I'm empty every time. I need you, for only you can satisfy me. I come to you and give you my life this morning. I open the door of my heart. Come into me, Lord Jesus. I don't know all that means. I don't know much about the Bible. But I know I need you, sir. So I ask you by faith to come into my life today. Come into my life. No more running. No more excuses. Today I join the winning team. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Now some of you made a decision for Jesus this morning. Some of you prayed that prayer. I want you to tell somebody. If you want to walk up here and tell me this morning, you can walk up here and tell me. You can tell somebody else that you know is a Christian. I want you to tell somebody today. And then I want you to call the church or I want you to let us know through an email and say, I accepted Christ and what's my next step? What do I need to do? We have some material for you before you leave here today. If you are new in the Lord or you're investigating the Lord or maybe you have a friend who's new in the Lord and you want to give them some material that will help them go to this table on this side. Those of you who are first time guests, you go over here and pick up your gift. Hey, listen, it's not about Whitley Church or the bridge. It's not about Farrell Hardison. It's all about Jesus. And the people said, thanks guys. God bless you. I love you.